Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And today I'm talking to you on the subject of what kind of people ought we to be? Have you ever thought about that? What kind of person should I be? You know, we come into life asking three questions. Number one is, how did I get here? And I want you to know that God created you in His image. In the image of God, He created you. He created male and female. God created you, and He is the one that designed you, and that's why you're here, because He created you. But the second question is, well, what in the world am I supposed to do while I'm here? which is a question that we'll be looking at today and tomorrow and Friday. What kind of people ought we to be? Well, we ought to be a people of God, fulfilling the purpose of God in every part of our lives. And then the third question we ask is, where am I going to go when I die? Well, the Bible even answers that one. The Bible talks about God preparing a place for us in heaven, but a heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Listen, you don't automatically go to heaven. Only those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and only those that Jesus knows will be in heaven. Now, notice I said two things. You got to know Jesus, but he's got to know you. You know, the book of James says that there's a separation that took place. And Jesus himself says that he separated some people and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So you got to know Jesus, but he better know you and he better know you by name. Well, let's look at this subject. What kind of people ought you to be? What kind of person should I be? 2 Peter 3 says this, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So we ought to be holy and live godly lives as we look forward to the coming of Christ. Somebody said this, I love this quote, build a man a fire, he'll be warm for a day. Set him on fire, and he'll be warm for the rest of his life. I'm hoping that we can be set on fire and have the fire kindled within us, that wherever we go, we can share the love of Christ. We ought to be holy people, living godly lives, looking forward to the day of the Lord's return. We ought to be praying for the speedy return of Christ. And in the meantime, we ought to be sharing the gospel wherever we go. R.C. Sproul told about the story and a letter that says, I'm angry with my pastor. I feel he is concealing the true identity of God. I so want my soul to experience deep reverence and admiration of God, but I feel he has tamed the Lion of Judah, making him a cure for everything instead of the majestic king to be worshipped with awe. Ah, That's a good point, isn't it? But why do we have a tendency to do this? Why do we have this tendency to say things like, well, God knows just how weak we are, and he understands that we're not perfect. You know why we do that? We tend to do this because the holiness of God is traumatic. And the holiness of God is something that we look at it and we miss the point. We find ourselves much more comfortable around flawed people than we do around a holy God. What kind of people ought we to be? We ought to be holy people, living godly lives. Warren Wiersbe in his book, True Worship, says this, you know, we must beware of trying to get chummy with God. I know the apostle John leaned on the bosom of Jesus in the upper room, but he fell at his feet of Jesus when he beheld him in his sovereign glory, says Revelation 1.17. Wiersbe continues, there is an undue familiarity with God that only proves that the worshiper does not really know God at all. 
oh, what kind of people ought we to be? We ought to be living godly lives. We ought to live holy lives. John Calvin, whom I'm named after, said, holy men of old trembled before God. The more righteous a person is when he comes before our holy God, the more he trembles. In the Old Testament, you had God's will revealed through priests and through prophets. Now, the priest would go before God, speaking on behalf of his people, and then the prophets. The prophets would go to the people on behalf of God. That's why if a prophet said something that didn't happen, he was killed, because he was not speaking on behalf of God, but he was speaking on behalf of himself. You know, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was a righteous prophet, and the prophet gives two complaints that he had against God. Number one, he says, God, why do you just tolerate your law being broken? And as you look at this, he realizes that God wasn't going to tolerate it, but God was going to send his people to the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were going to bring about chastisement on the people of God. But the second question that Habakkuk asked and says, God, how can you let somebody worse than us punish us? Look what it says in Habakkuk 2. It says, I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on your ramparts. I will look to you to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give about this complaint. So he makes his complaint that God is tolerating the violation of his law, but then he complains that God is letting the Babylonians, who are worse than them, punish them. You know, that's how sometimes God rolls. In Hebrews 3.16, he says, I heard, he says, my heart pounded. Now, some people believe that Habakkuk, when he got the response from God, he actually had a heart attack. His heart pounded so great that it caused it to go under stress and it caused it to stop even beating for a moment. He says, my lips quivered at that sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. You know, the book of Job, there's a story about a guy by the name of Job. And this was a man that was living in the land of Uz. And and he was a man that was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. But he lived a godly life. He lived such a godly life that at the end of the book of Job, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of your ear. But he says, now, after spending 40 chapters of suffering for God, he says, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, this blows my mind when I think about this, because Job was a righteous man, Yet at the end of his life, as he goes through these times of suffering, he didn't say to the Lord, look what I've done for you. Look at how I've passed this task. He says, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, as we think about God's Word, it is so powerful. Within God's Word is what is called oracles. Oracles are good news or bad news, right? Jesus gave that famous Sermon on the Mount, and it could be called Jesus' Oracle from God, the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with the blessings. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall 
inherit the earth, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But if you read the rest of the book of Matthew, not are there oracles of blessings, oracles of good news, but there's also oracles of woe, talking about God's judgment. As a matter of fact, I came up with seven woes or seven curses that are found in Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus, the same guy who gave that Sermon on the Mount, also said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. He says, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people who are righteous, but on the inside, you are just filled with hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, God often reveals himself in our times of hurt as pain gets into our lives, and and it's a way of getting our attention. In our times of frustration, we must turn to him. Peter says, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be people who are living holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and the speed of his coming. You know, the book of Isaiah is such a wonderful book. It's comprised of 66 chapters. We could call them 66 books. Chapters 1 through 39 talks about Israel's history. Chapters 40 through 66 conveys the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, Isaiah is regarded as one of the six greatest books in the Bible. You have Romans and John and Psalms and in Genesis and Revelation, and then we have Isaiah. Isaiah was the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest Old Testament prophet. In fact, Jesus said of Isaiah that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ and that Isaiah spoke of him in John 12, 41. You see, Isaiah is quoted more times in the New Testament than any other prophets. And we're going to learn today and throughout this rest of this week, about the oracles of God, about how we can live a godly life. Let me pick up Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. In the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, sitting on a throne, and a train of his robe filled all of the temple. And I get this in my mind that the robe is like this train that is filling all of the temple. It indicated that the king was to be served. Above him, there were were seraphim, each of them having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds began to shake, and the temple was filled with smoke. Well, today and tomorrow and the next day, we want to look at the subject of what kind of people ought we to be? 
we're looking at the book of Isaiah, and we learn that the first thing is that we ought to be people who see the Lord highly exalted. You know, Uzziah began his reign when he was only 16 years old, and he reigned 52 years. Now, overall, he was a good king, and 2 Kings 15.3 says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And 2 Chronicles says that he sought the God of Israel all the days of Zechariah. So he, for the most part, was a good king. We see that Uzziah also led Israel in a military victory over the Philistines and over other neighboring nations. And he was a strong king. Uzziah was an energetic builder, excellent planner, a wonderful general. In 2 Chronicles 26, it says that he was so famous that his fame spread as far as the entrance to Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. You see, Uzziah was a good engineer. Uh, he was an energetic builder, and he, and he knew how to keep things going. And he knew that he had to keep himself strong. He had to keep his nation strong. But the sad thing about Uzziah is that his life ended tragically. Second Chronicles 26 says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. His heart lifted up to his own destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So in response, God struck Uzziah with leprosy. And he was an isolated leper until the day he died. Now, as we look at this, this is a sad commentary on the life of King Uzziah. So to say that in the year that King Uzziah died, when Isaiah is writing, it says a lot. It says, in the year... A great and a wise king died, but it's also to say, in the year a great and wise king who had a tragic end died. You see, Isaiah had great reason to be discouraged, great reason to be disillusioned at the death of King Uzziah. But a great king had passed away, and because his life ended tragically, where is the Lord in all of this? Have you ever asked yourself that? Where is the Lord in the midst of this disaster? Isaiah writes, Woe to me, or or, woe is me, he cried out to the Lord. He says, I'm ruined. I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, I want you to know, godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation. It leaves no regret, but worldly wisdom only brings death. You know, I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said that, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Oh, the kind of people we ought to be, we ought to be people who see the Lord highly exalted, highly lifted up. You know, the Lord blessed me with a wonderful ministry inmates. And uh, I've transitioned from Indian Creek Correctional Center to St. Bride's Correctional Center, and uh, it's been a good opportunity for me to meet a lot of new uh, inmates and an opportunity to meet a lot of new staff. And 
and I remind inmates often, if they will stay humble, they will not stumble. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. One of the ways that I can remain humble is I can see the Lord highly exalted. When you have a low view of God, you have a high view of yourself. When you have a high view of God, you have a low view of yourself. And I'm not talking about a low view of myself and that, I, that I'm thinking I'm no good. I'm thinking that I am only good because of the goodness of the Lord. All glory goes to him. All praise to goes to him. He is highly exalted. That's the kind of people we ought to be. We ought to be people that exalt Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords and not just give lip service to it, but actually follow through and exalt him with our time and with our resources and with our money, praising him with all parts of our lives. But there's something else that we ought to do. We ought to also see ourselves as humble. We ought to see ourselves as people who are undone and people that are ruined. You see, when Isaiah found out who God was, he found out who Isaiah was. Now, let me say that again. When Isaiah found out who God was, he found out who Isaiah was. He says, I am undone. Some would say that he is psychologically disintegrating. You know, when you think about something that is healthy, it is whole, it is together. But when you think about losing it, that's falling apart. Integrity meshes these two together. Realizing on one hand, we are ruined. On the other hand, because we are ruined, God can put us back together again. We spend our lives bailing ourselves from God because we know instinctively that we don't have it all together. And we have become very comfortable with our sinful selves. But when we get into the presence of God, all of a sudden we realize that we are ruined. We're undone. John Calvin said, As long as our gaze is fixed upon the ground, we are safe. But when we fix our gaze upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we become undone. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Oh, oh, don't worry. We won't dare to say that we are as wonderful as those other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And then Paul says, how ignorant. We're going to compare ourselves with somebody else? Somebody gave a wonderful definition of compare. Compare I sin. Comparisons. When I compare myself to other people, I sin because one of two things are going to happen. I'm going to think I'm way better than that person, or I'm going to think I'm way worse than that person. Who cares what you are in comparison to other people? It's what God thinks about us that matters. There's two extremes that Christians, I think, tend to battle. On one hand, you have what is called carnal Christians or worldly Christians. Christians who think that they are better than anybody else because they approve of everything that goes on in the world, they live just like the world. But on the other hand, you have the legalists or you have the Pharisees. Now, they think they're better than anybody else because they are more self-righteous than others. And they will even add laws to the books 
so that they will appear to be even more righteous. But you know, both worldly Christians and legalistic Christians have the bar set way too low, and both are filled with pride. Scripture calls them ignorant. Why? Because in the presence of God Almighty, none of us measure up. We're comfortable with our imperfections, and I sometimes look at myself and it almost makes me sick that we're, we're so quick to excuse ourselves because we can find somebody uh, who's worse than us. But when Isaiah saw Christ, he was lifted up. He said, I'm undone because I have a dirty mouth. Jesus says, I tell you that a man will have to give an account on that day of judgment for every careless word that he has spoken. Why? because our mouths were created to communicate praise to God, encouragement to others, never designed for lying, never designed for profanity, never designed for gossip, never designed for evil plotting. Isaiah, the man who had it most together of all the Jewish people at that time, when he's in the presence of God, he comes apart. You see, we spend our lives veiling ourselves from the true character of God. We hide from him because we know we have this justified sin. And we say things like, well, nobody's perfect and to err is human. Everybody's entitled to some sin. Now, where is that found in Scripture? But we've gone way past one sin. In fact, we've become so accustomed to sin in our lives that, that we've become quite comfortable in sin. We will not be judged by a curve. It's going to be according to God's standard. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow as we continue this study on what kind of people ought we to be. I feel compelled as you're listening to me right now just to pray for you. So, Lord, I don't know what avenue this person is listening to me right now, whether it be on the radio broadcast or the podcast. This person may be driving down the interstate. This person may be carrying a tremendous burden. So, Lord, I pray that they will be like Isaiah, who will lift up and see the Lord high and lifted up. I ask that the Spirit of God work in the life of this person to bring about salvation, number one, and number two, to bring about in the life of this person that abundant Christian life, that life that is not a life of arrogance, but a life of humility. What does the Lord require of us? The Lord requires us to walk humbly before our Lord and our God. To live a life of humility is not to say that we are, are weak people, but it's to say that we are broken people and that we are uh, people that need the power of God in our lives. So I pray, Lord, for those who are listening right now, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for being with us during this broadcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, my friends. I want to pray that God will work in your life in a powerful way. I want you to be able to see the Lord high and exalted in your life. But there's only one way for that to happen. We must be living a holy life, a life that is separated from sin. Don't cozy up with the world. Realize that you are a child of the King. You don't have to get down into the gutter. You don't have to live like the world. You have been called out to be separate. God has got a wonderful plan for your life, and he wants you to live according to his will. He wants you to be right smack dab in the middle of his will for your life. So don't accept a cheap substitute. 
Don't accept second best. Realize that the Lord is highly exalted. And as a result of that, you can be in that right position to receive forgiveness. You ever wonder what could happen to us if we were totally transformed by the power of God? Listen, God knows every one of your sins, but every sin that you've ever committed has been forgiven. Your guilt is taken away. No more shame, no more pain. You never have to worry about your sins. You are forgiven. So live a life that exemplifies that forgiveness that you have been given. Thank you so much for listening today. If I can pray for you, send me a text, 252-267-2365. I'd love to pray for you. I would love to uh, help you any way that I can. I want to invite you to come and worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We're located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. I thank the Lord for you. I'm lifting you up today, asking the Lord to bless you in a very special way. Join me for part two of this message. What does God expect of us? How can we live a godly life, a holy life? We've looked at the first two points today, and we'll cover the rest tomorrow and Friday. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.